0: Chapter 7 of Ezra. Uh, kids Camp is coming up. We've got the registration forms out there. If you're interested in your kids coming to camp this year, it's going to be in August. Um, the registration forms are on the table. Um, they have deadlines on them and all that, fees, most of the pertinent information that you'll need. We'll be out at uh, uh, Mazingo this year. We're not going to do the day camp again. We're going to get back out to Mazingo at the campsite out there. Um, They have a kid, if you didn't know that, they have a children's camp out there that's set apart from all of Mazingo's other properties and things and um, access to the water and and, uh, common space and big fire pits and cabins and all that for the kids and uh, just a real special time for them. We did the day camp last year and it was fine, um, but the kids were all like, it's yeah, it's like church, you know. It's, <laughs> we're always there, kind of thing. I was like, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. And so um, we decided to move it out there. So with that, uh, this is the this, that's good news. Here's the bad news: we did go back to ages nine to sixteen instead of eight to sixteen. It's, it was it's too hard for the littler ones um, uh, to be able to do that and do the overnights and all that, and and too hard for the for the counselors as well and i know that's disappointing for the seven-year-olds that were like i'm gonna be eight next year and yeah i have to wait a year i'm sorry about that um i know that's not fun especially as a parent who has to explain that to the kids so um we'll do our best we think we may have something set up for the littlest little ones not a an official thing but maybe we can organize some kind of uh, you know play date here um that other mothers and, and things can and dads can kind of organize and do on their own separate from that so they don't feel like they missed out completely on a on a, on a time with the Lord and, and, and play time with their friends. So anyway, those sign-up sheets are out there. Please take one, fill it out, get it back as soon as you can. I know we have a tendency to procrastinate when it comes to that stuff and turn it in right when we have to. The sooner we get it, the, 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 the better, so we can get T-shirts ordered and get everything organized, get camp assignment, you know, cabin assignments, all these things. There's a lot we have to do. Pick how many counselors we need, the teachings, all that has to be done only after we get that count. So the, the sooner, the better for us. All right. Ezra chapter 7, there's a 57 year gap in between chapters 6 and 7, um, and, and it's, this is a great place to stick the book of Esther, is between chapters 6 and 7. The book of Esther is what's happening in Babylon at the time, and if you don't know the story, Esther is a Jewess who gets taken into the harem of the king, but is used by God to prevent the total annihilation of the Jewish people. Um, So a great time to read that book is in between these two chapters. That's where we'd place this, or we'd place Esther. Um, So with that being said, there's a 57-year gap of when the first wave of Israelites went back into the land from captivity, 50,000 of them. Um, This next wave is actually led by Ezra, the first one by Zerubbabel, the second one is led by Ezra. Uh, He is a, a scribe, basically, Um, and and, uh, very skilled, it says, and we'll read that here in a minute. Um, But he's leading more of a spiritual revival. He's only going to take 2,000 back with him, although as many as want to go back can go back. They're allowed, always have been, um, but only 2,000 are going to go back with him. And in fact, he's going to have to recruit some of the priests and say, how come you guys didn't sign up, basically? So there's there's a little coaxing that needs to take place for these people to return. They've been in Babylon a long time and you get comfortable and you kind of resign yourself to the fact that, well, this is where I live now. This is where I'm going to grow up. I'm going to establish a business. I'm going to establish my family. I'm going to get my home. I'm going to get my, I can't go on waiting. I'm going to get at this, you know? Um, And so a lot of people had a hard time pulling up roots to go back to this land, to be pioneers. And to be a pioneer is a special kind of heart, a special spirit. Um, some of you are the first generation in your families to be Christians, to be born-again believers, maybe always churchgoers, but never radically saved, born again, like you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you live for him now, you worship him. You don't just attend or read. You know, There's an actual uh, event that's taken place in your life where you can look back and say, that is the day, that I accepted Christ. And you're the first generation. It's a pioneering moment, a pioneering life that you're going to lead. Because most of the people you knew who went to church or went you went to church with them as you grew up are looking at you like you're crazy. You know, what is this absolute devotion to Jesus Christ? I mean, a little religion's okay, but you've gone overboard, you know. Are you in a cult kind of thing? No, it's actually what the Bible teaches. You must be born again. You must be filled with the Spirit. You have to have a new mind and a new heart. There needs to be a moment where you're actually changed and transformed, and you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. And they're like deer in headlights a lot of times. Pioneering. It's not easy, but it's well worth it. It's well worth it. And a lot of people follow you, and you prepare the way for the next group. You prepare your way for the next generation in your family. Your kids will follow that pioneering. They don't have to break up sod. They don't have to clear forests for them to have, plant a crop. You've done that for them. You've trained them up in the ways of the Lord, just like this baby dedication we did this morning. You know, this little McKenna is now going to grow up in a home that is dedicated to Jesus Christ, loves him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and will train her up in the way that she should go. She'll never have to look back and say, well, I grew up in a carnal family full of sin and, and rebellion against God, and I had to figure it out for myself. God had to reach down and pull me out of that family. You know, she'll know what it's like. To grow up in that, and that's because the parents not. They're like, wait, we were pioneers too. You know, we're we're right here in the room. I I didn't. I'm just using an example because you're here. So, Um, old family's great. Um, (laughs) You are awesome. (laughs) The chores, everybody. The chores. No. Uh, Anyway, that what? And And Germaine's the germains, the chores, the whole gang, all of them. They love them all. Uh, Okay. So Ezra's going back, and he's the second wave. Now, Zerubbabel, the pioneer, has been there. Now, Ezra needs to get him back on track. After 57 years of being in the land and building up, um, partially building up, they need a spiritual revival already. They're already falling back into the old ways that cause them to go back into captivity. They begin to intermarry with other uh, ethnic groups and things. And that's not to say that God's against interracial marriage. That's not what he wants to keep the Israelites pure, to be an example, to show them this is what it looks like to keep the Messiah line pure and so on. That's, that's the point. Uh, Moses married an Ethiopian woman. That's not an issue. Um, it's just that... When they would marry into these families, they often took on the traits of those families and would worship other gods. That's what he's concerned with. Not that the, the different race or mixed, uh, mixed marriage, it was, it, was, it was that they were going to start walking away from God and following after these pagan gods. And so they're beginning to do that already. I mean, it's not been very long. And so Ezra needs to go. He's feeling this call on him. This scribe feels this call to head out. And he's going to take a group with him, and this is what they're going to do. Now, Haggai is one of the prophets, and Zechariah is one of the prophets that we read about last week, right before this takes place, that was encouraging the nation of Israel to go and to do and to continue and to be faithful. It's like uh, they had been stopped by the world, and the prophet said, ignore the world, do what God's calling you to do. You know, um, Here's a couple of their quotes in Haggai 1 verses three through six, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses uh, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little you eat, but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into money bags with holes into bags with holes. And most of us know what that's like. You know, I'm going to do some overtime this weekend. We're going to get that, you know, vacation fund going. And somehow or another, a bill comes and just takes all that extra away. You know, it just happens. It's some money bag full of holes, you know, because we're not using it right. Um, and that's what the Haggai is saying. He goes, you guys have got your houses together. You're living in paneled homes. Your houses are complete. But if you look out your doors at the temple, the place where you're supposed to worship the God who's providing for your paneled homes, it's in ruins. You know, what are are you guys doing? Your focus is wrong. Um, Get focused again. And so Haggai tries to focus on Zechariah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Same kind of situation. Therefore, say to them, um, thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is his prophecy to them. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus uh, says the Lord of hosts. Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your relatives used to do this to me, God is saying. You, I would send them prophets and tell them what they need to do, and they would nod and you know smile and wave, basically, and then they go on and do what they want to do anyway. Don't be like your relatives that heard me, or at least I sent messengers to them, and they ignored me. Again, that pioneering spirit. Sometimes um, you have to be very attentive, and we'll, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about the meditations of our heart and how to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit, which is what God's asking him to do. Now, these guys weren't concealing it. Zachariah would stand in the middle of the square and say, you guys need to start walking with God. You know, there was no, let's think about it kind of thing. There he was with his megaphone, you know, uh, telling him. So we're in that place, right? So Ezra gets this, this moment, you know, this calling on his life to head out. Now, after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, now I'm going to go through the names, bear with me, but there's a reason for this. The son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Etub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meritoth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Abishua. The son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, which is what we're trying to get to. Aaron, the priest, the high priest, the chosen one. This Ezra, that's the one we're talking about. Because you know how, how many people here are named John? Raise your hand if your name is John. One, two. Oh, just two? We're a unique group here. Two. Usually there's like 12 in a crowd, you know, John. It's like the most common name in the world or whatever. Um and so there would be a lot of Ezra's. There would be a lot of these people. This is the one we're talking about. The genealogy was very important to them. Remember, they're trying to figure out who can be a priest, who can't be a priest. We need to trace you back and to know um, whether your bloodline is pure. We were just looking at Highland cattle. Jenny and I were, were going thinking about doing that kind of thing. And to make sure they're purebred, you got to go back five generations. Make sure there's five generations back of pure Highland blood. And that's how you know you've got registered uh, I mean, they can be registered, but that's how you know you've got a pure line. And this is the idea, is you cannot come into the presence of the Lord without this pedigree, basically. You have to have this. And so he's saying this. Ezra has this pedigree. He's qualified to go do what he's about to go do. It's important. Um, when Christ came, and this is the good news for us as Gentiles, because we have, like, no pedigree, nor does it matter anymore. We can come into the presence of the Lord without any pedigree. I, I don't have to know who my dad was or who my granddad was or who my great, great and so on. I come because I'm, I'm a, an adopted son into the family. That's how I come into the presence of the Lord. I come because I'm adopted. Adoption is one of the most amazing examples of God's grace and mercy. Um, we love adoption. Uh, we, it's so amazing. My dad was adopted. Um, I know several of you were adopted. I think you brought that up to me. A couple times and it can be something to struggle with at first you know why why did this happen to me why where's my mom where's my dad why what's going on here and and so you have to go through those gymnastics but to understand your faith in jesus christ you really the adopted person knows exactly what christ is getting at when he says you're adopted jesus is the bloodline but we're adopted into his family we're brought in And so although our father may have been this, that, or the other, our new father loves us like he loves his own son and treats us like he treats his own son and imputes his son's righteousness onto us who have no pedigree. And so the the example's beautiful. It's an amazing thing. So before Christ, though, before Christ set us free from that, um, we have this pedigree, and you had to have it. You had to see it. You had to be in that line. So, he came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe of the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, uh, which was uh, in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, uh, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Now, here's why. Verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. There's a nice little list there. We like lists. This is a good one to know. Ezra prepared his heart. And we have that obligation, too. We're encouraged to prepare our hearts, not just show up. I so desperately just want to go to a sale barn and grab a bunch of cattle and throw them out on our land and see what they do. I just want to see it. Oh, look. Oh, they're out. I don't want that to happen. We had our first out. You know, I had opened up some gates. I know. Quiet. All the farmers are like, you got to close them gates. I know. Okay. But I needed to open my first gate and leave it open to see what happened, and I left it open because I was mowing, and it was just—we have got this funny gate system. You don't care, but you have to listen anyway because you're here. And so there's like gates, and then there's this corral that's worthless, it's full of weeds, and then there's this other gate over here that's for something, and then there's over here, there's all these little things. It looks like a it looks like a stockyards kind of thing, you know? It's like, what do these do? I can't figure this out. Well, I left one of them open, and so Jenny in the morning says she's in my garden, you know. Oh man. Oh man. So I ran out there and there's our pony looking at me. I'm like, of all the of all the horses, the pony's out, you know. Rebellious ratty little pony. So I carefully walk up, you know, hi pony pony, don't Stampede! Don't jump around or whatever. I try to get. All of a sudden, here comes her friend, the other horse, walking through the gate. So I panic at that point. Next to the pony, no, like this. Well, there goes the pony. (laughs) I so desperately want to get ahead of myself and throw. After that moment, didn't want to go get cattle and just throw them out there to see if there were any holes in the fence. I'm going to take my time and go through and find the holes. There's a preparation that needs to take place on our property before we can actually put any animals on there. i got to see, visually inspect, and prepare this paddocks and all these fields for these animals before they get there so that I'm not playing catch-up or firemen, you know, trying to put out all these animal fires going everywhere. Ezra prepares his heart. He prepares to seek the Lord, to seek the law of the Lord. And then not only does it prepare his heart to seek it, but he also prepares his heart to do it. When I, Whatever I read, whatever I take in, I'm going to go do that. So he prepares himself for that because sometimes you don't hear what you want to hear from God. You hear what you need to hear, and you need to go do that regardless of whether you like to hear it or not. So he prepares his heart that whatever God tells me, it's going to be for my best, so I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to also teach it. I'm going to teach it as a statute and an ordinance in Israel. I need to be prepared and know it so well and apply it to my own life that I can give it out. Those three things have to take place in the believer's life. The preparing of the heart. And I think I've been negligent in this as a pastor. I don't think I've ever discussed meditation before. And it's not that I know every meditation, is this some new age church? No, it's in the Bible. Like 11 different times the word meditation is used and to meditate and all that, I'm going to give you scriptures only. And this isn't the meditation that the world offers us, you know, the whole lotus position with your fingers and you try to bring your mind to nothingness, you know, and that's one form of this Eastern mysticism that, no, this is not what scripture is talking about. It's, l- let me, let me bring it down to where I understand it. It's like daydreaming. I got chewed out all through grade school for daydreaming, had to sit by the teacher's desk in third grade the entire, both semesters I was up there by her desk. Yeah. Yeah, I see you laughing, teacher over there. She's going, Oh, you're that kid. I was. A whole wall full of windows in our classroom, you know? Just just wall of windows. And this is me, just all day long. Now I'm not spacing off. I am, they thought so, but I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the world, the mechanics of it, how everything's going down. The teacher's like, JD, And they called me JD back then, J-A-D-Y, JD. Mrs. Poulsen. Anyway. <laughs> great teacher she was so kind uh, she was very kind sat by her desk but was kind while I was tired she just I need your attention JD and this is the only way I can get it um, This daydreaming this meditation of the heart this thinking about things is so important for us as Christians I get that question all the time how do you hear from the Holy Spirit And as a pastor, you can't say, well, I sit there and daydream all day. You know, you can't say that. you got to do something spiritual. Well, I meditate upon the scriptures of my heart. No, I just stare out and look at the bees and think. you got to think things through. you got to have that time where there's nobody yapping at you or talking to you. And you're by yourself and you can just think and unwind everything you, you had. You know how you lay down at night and you can't get your mind to stop going? That's because you haven't unwound it yet. You got so much data and information you received all day long. You just you're quiet for the first time all day long, and it's all there, and it's going in and out of your brain like it's like a traffic jam. Just, just I can't sleep. I can't sleep. So you, you think that you need to get rid of that so that you can get some rest. And I understand that that's the tendency for us is to kind of panic and to what you need to do is probably get up and just think it all through. Let's get it all right. What happened today? Why did it happen that way? What is for tomorrow? What do I have on my list? What didn't I do today? And you need to work it all out so that you can have that settled, peaceful feeling in that heart. It's okay. I bet if you took an hour and just stopped trying to fall asleep and got up and just got a pencil and paper and started doing it, writing it all out, you'd probably unwind to where you could sleep. So the meditations of the heart, the things that Ezra does to prepare uh, himself to seek the law of the Lord and then to do it, I'm going to give you a couple of them, um, of course, in the Psalms. Psalm 19, verse one, uh, 141. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. There's a purpose for meditation in that it might be acceptable to God. That needs to take place. I can't just meditate on anything. That isn't helpful. That's not beneficial. And you know where I'm going with that New Testament scripture. Some of you have already gone there. But the meditations of our heart need to be things of the Lord. When I'm trying to get right with God and to get my mind straight with the Lord, it needs to be pleasing to him. So when I'm thinking, there's a battle that takes place in our mind, isn't there? The crazy stuff, the random stuff that comes in. And the stuff that you need to think about, and you've got to get rid of the random and focus on, and that's where meditation comes in. You're going to meditate on the things of the Lord right now. I'm not going to meditate on the things on my list, tasks, jobs, worries, concerns, all that. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to meditate on the things of the Lord. Now, I will hit and address those, but this time is just for God. This time is just for me to get prepared, to receive everything he has for me. So you begin to meditate, and the meditations need to be, of my heart, acceptable in your sight. Psalm 104, 34, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. It needs to be sweet to him. You're always thinking about me. Everybody loves it when they hear that you were thinking about them. You know, if you get a card that's unexpected from somebody or an email or a text, you're like, I was just thinking about you today. Oh, I didn't know that anybody was thinking about me today because I feel like I'm going through a lot right now. And I don't think anybody knows about it. And all of a sudden I got this from them and I'll uh, just, there's something about that. And our, our God gives us that sense. Cause he has that. Oh, they're thinking about me. Every one of you here this morning, you know, that your God in heaven sees you here. It's like, Oh, they're there. They took the time. They brushed Most of them brushed their teeth, got themselves ready, drove. I mean, there's a lot involved in this event right now where we're worshiping together. They, they, Put aside differences with other people that they might have, and they decided to come and worship, or they set aside other things they could be doing and decided to worship. And, they did. and our God sees all of that, and He says, They're thinking about me today. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. May my, may my meditation be sweet to him. And it is. Psalm 19:99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Meditation. See, I knew more than Mrs. Polson. She just didn't know it. My third grade teacher. I'm meditating. I know more than you. I didn't say that. No. Um, Your testimonies are worthy to meditate on. When you think about God's word and you focus on that, it's amazing how much smarter you get about stuff. It's amazing how those times with the Lord actually answer some of the questions that you're going to visit next time on your next section of meditation, which is your tasks, your lists, your relationships, all those other things that bother you that go in, you know that are unraveling or, or are not in your mind. Meditating on God's word first, let the meditations of your heart and your mind be pleasing to Him first. Get solutions for the other stuff. It's amazing. It's an antidote. It's a it's a software patch. It's a however you want to put it. Um, it it corrects the virus basically that's got you all messed up inside. Um, it's healing, and so you meditate on it that way. Second Corinthians chapter ten verses four through six, some New Testament scriptures. Um, for the weapons of our warfare are not carna- are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Part of the warfare that we lead in this world, as far as doing what's right and what's a blessing to God and what's good for everybody else, is that pulling those thoughts captive. Vain imaginations, that's a word we use a lot. I think they think this about me. It's a vain imagination. You don't know it, but I think they think this about me. And so you begin to have these vain imaginations. You've got to pull that thought captive. That isn't of God. If God wanted you to know what everybody was thinking about you, you'd find out, or they would tell you, or whatever, or you'd, you you know, whatever. And that's fine. That's good to know that information too, I guess, if it doesn't throw you overboard. Um, but regardless, can you imagine if you could read everybody's thoughts? It would be the worst superpower in the world. I don't want to know. I don't want to be standing in front of you, talking to you, and have them, have oh, oh how do I get away from him? He's always talking, you know. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I love you, brother, you know, or sister or whatever. It's like, I just, I don't want to know. I pretend you all love me and think I'm the greatest singer. You could spend hours listening to me talk. I just, that's how I see you. <laughs> you got to pull those thoughts captive into the obedience of Christ. This is not what you want me to dwell on. This is not meditating on the things of the Lord. This is, this is defeating, you know? 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another of, of one against the other. We can go beyond what's written. God tells us, here's your, here's your boundaries for meditation. Meditate on my word. Don't meditate beyond what's written. Meditate on my word. It's enough. It's the solution. It's what you need. I've given you everything that you have to need that pertains to life and godliness. It's found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is it. This is all you need. And it straightens everything out. And so he tells us that. James chapter 4 verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? Jealously. The spirit dwells in you. How do I hear from the Spirit? You've got to spend time meditating on God's Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. I've got to let and give God time through the Spirit to speak to me. If I'm busy doing all these things and having these vain imaginations and doing my mental gymnastics, which is not meditation, trying to unravel the the mysteries of my life, you know, basically, um, I need to quiet myself so that I can hear the Lord and meditate on His Word so that He can speak to me. I don't want to make it hard on the Holy Spirit to have him have to break through all those other voices in my life that are going on in my head. And everybody has them, you know, he's out there. He's one of the 10 yelling in your ear, but he he needs to be the only one you hear. And you do that by meditating on God's word. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's a very common, very practical, useful tool that we have as Christians is to meditate on these things. Some people take that scripture to mean no negativity in my life. I just can't have any toxic people. No, 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 no. Jesus was surrounded by toxic people. That's what he came to do, is to to neutralize the toxicity, right? He came to save us from our sins. Can you imagine if God said, hey, Jesus, I need you to go down there and save all those people. It's awfully toxic down there, you know. (laughs) I just need to have some me time and spend some time on the universe. I'm going to go, you know, no, absolutely. Being around toxic people is what we're supposed to do. As Christians, we're the antidote. We're the ones that are supposed to be prayed up, ready, meditating on God's word, also ready to do God's word in the presence of all these people that they might come to know him too. I was toxic till I wasn't. I was toxic till I got saved. I was toxic until I became born again. Everybody is. And I still have some toxicity, I think. I still have that a little bit. Whenever I'm not walking with the Lord or walking in the flesh, my wife, the poor gal, you know, she lives with a toxic husband who's, who's great in other areas and at different times, but a lot of times not. You know? Meditate on the things that are good. So if you want to prepare your heart to be that neutralizing agent in this world and to bring people to Christ, I need to spend that time, yes, around toxic people, but meditating on the things that are worth meditating about. I don't want to have vain imaginations. I don't want to meditate about the horrors of the world. I don't want to get caught up in the drama of these things. I'm here to fix that with the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. So we meditate on those lovely things so that we can be in effect in those, in those areas of our lives. And so that was a lot, but that's really the focus of today's teaching. The rest of it we'll go through pretty quickly. God um, encouraged Ezra to go and Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. So, all right, verse 11, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra, the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. So here's his letter from King Artaxerxes to Ezra, the priest and a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. So there's a good thing to learn there. He's a priest and a scribe, perfect peace and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. There it is. Anybody can go, but not everybody goes. And whereas you are uh, being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And whereas you are to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the provinces of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priests who are to be freely offered for the house of uh, their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, lambs, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them uh, on the altar the house of your God in Jerusalem. Okay, so I'm sending you off. I'm letting you go. Take as many people as you want. Here's all the gold and stuff that we've volunteered for you to take, uh, donated basically to your cause. Um, but don't forget when you go there, I mean, use it for whatever you want to. He's going to say that. Whatever seems good to you, use the rest of it for the house of God, but don't forget to offer up prayers for us, you know, offers of, of Thanksgiving and, and, and also uh, sacrifices for us. Please pray for us when you're there. Don't just take our money and run basically and go. Uh, We're doing this on a purpose because we believe your God is the God of all. And we definitely want him on our side. And I mean, they're unbelievers. They're uh, maybe they're believer. I guess I don't know for sure, but they're, um, They're rough around the edges as far as what they're supposed to do for the creator of the universe, you know. Um, So they may not word it just right, but it's like, please don't forget to pray for us. We need that. You know, we believe your cause and what you're doing, but don't forget to pray for us. And so uh, he throws that out there. Take everything with you, but don't forget to pray and offer up sacrifices for us. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, uh, which you may have occasion to provide, uh, uh, pay for it from the king's treasury. So he's got you know, treasure cities throughout his land. You, know, you don't have to run to an ATM. You run to the nearest city, basically, that has your, you know, your stores of goods. And so he's saying, along the way, feel free to use whatever you need to use within limits. He's going to put some limits on it. And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, uh, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently, give them whatever they need up to. Okay, here's the, we don't want them walking through the land and clearing out our bank accounts, basically. And that's okay. I like this. Up to 100 talents of silver, that's a lot. 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, uh, and salt without prescribed limit. Take as much of that as you want. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? He knows there's a connection. Those who bless Israel be blessed, okay? He understands that, right? He's having a rough time in his own kingdom. He's got a couple rebellious realms, you know, people that have walked away from him. He's actually going to turn his kingdom over to like the command of God, basically, in 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 a different kind of way. But God does what he wants to do with the Gentiles. It's just interesting how God works. And he regains those realms during this time. He actually conquers these people back. So when he places his kingdom in God's hands, all of a sudden there's a blessing. Um, and so he understands it, it not only is a, a thought or uh, another religion, he knows that this God is real and actually functions and does what he says he's going to do. Um, verse uh, 24. We also, or also we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethinim, or servants of this house of God. So you guys are all, exempt um, from, from, uh, from you know, Social Security or from FICA or whatever it is they want to take out or wherever they took out at that time. You're exempt from that. You can opt out. Um, and they didn't. It's a blessing. It's honoring is what that is. And we talked a little about, about that last week or a lot about that last week. We got a little political, but um, it's an honoring thing when a nation decides to honor God. And we need to let them. We need to let them do that. And that goes along with that 501c3 that we talked about last last week. Uh, you need to let them. It's a blessing. You know, they're, uh, regardless of where it's going or what it's changing, as of now, the blessing is we want to honor this house of faith, this house of Jesus, uh, with a tax break. We don't want them to have to pay taxes. but It's the same heart here. It's a blessing. And, and, and churches need to take advantage of that, not to, be, to gain more. We don't need any more. God's our provider. He always takes care of us. But the world is trying to honor and that's okay. Now, again, they can, they can try to have a say or try to have influence in the church. And, of course, that's where the relationship then would end. But that's not what they're doing right now. It's an honoring thing. And so we see that example here. Um, and really, we see more of an example of the United States in this next section here. It's amazing how this ties together. Um, as, they have, uh, as, a, as a nation, we've decided to let these houses of God um, be tax-exempt. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. I want Jewish judges. I want Jewish, I want them to all be in I want them to know your God. I want them to be versed and followers and worshipers of your God. That's a good thing. Um, it's honoring. And to teach those who do not observe uh, the law of your God and the law of the king. Uh, let judgment, he throws that in the law of the king too, by the way. Well, the law of the king can't contradict the law of God. Otherwise, the law of the king gets uh, trumped, basically. It's it's over, overruled. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Wow, you know, we shall not establish religion. Uh, kind of did. And, and that's probably one of the, and I don't want to get into this. I'm going to anyway. Um, one of the misconceptions about it: we shall not have any established religion. Well, you know how we get mixed up, and maybe you're one of those people that don't understand that when you say someone says to you sometimes they say, "What religion are you?" and you say, "Well, I'm a Christian." Well, no, I know that. I mean, what they meant to say was, "What denomination are you? What group? Are you? What religion are you?" It means you could be Buddhist, right? You could be Hindu. Uh, You could be uh, whatever they are, you know, black magic, whatever, Satan worshiper or Christian. Those are different religions, different gods completely. Denomination is just different groups of people and how they go about worshiping the true and living God, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the difference. So when they said no more establishment of religion, that's what they meant. No more establishment of a denomination, at no time were the founding fathers saying, I think we should be able to worship Satan and Jesus if we want to. Never crossed their mind. It was always Christian faith, always meant to be followers of Jesus Christ. We just don't want to establish a church like the Church of England. Do You have to go there, and that's the only denomination. You know, you can, you can worship freely, basically, okay? So anyway, that's what he does. I want the judges to know this God. And I want them to be well-versed in it. And uh, anybody that goes against this and goes against the king's law, um, execute judgment upon them. Uh, Verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. He gives credit where credit is due, not to the king, but to the God who put it on the heart of the king. It's a small thing. I mean, I think the king can be blessed and receive that as a compliment. Um, But Ezra isn't saying, Oh, thank, Oh, we don't know what we do without you. King Artaxerxes. We'd be fine without you. King Artaxerxes. What I'm saying, what he says is thank you, God for turning this heart of the king for us. Thank you for, as we pray for our leaders, that they let us lead these peaceable, quiet lives that we, that we uh, so hope to live. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart. It's a blessing when the leaders line up with God. It's not a blessing when the leaders don't line up with God, right? And that's that's the point of this. That he's thankful for that, and he gives God the glory, God the credit. Man should never be looking for the credit. This king should never be saying, "Hey, you know what about me? I donated a lot to your church. You know, are you going to name the?" Why don't you worship me instead? Or why don't you put a plaque with my name on it? What a terrible practice we've gotten into by putting plaques on stuff that people donated to the church. It's a terrible uh, example. And, and uh, that's mine. I gave that. Oh, well, good job. Good job. That's a nice chair that you donated or whatever, or a nice drum set or or whatever. Never meant to be like that. But we will thank God and for God who put it on your heart to do what you did on behalf of God. But if it wasn't up for if it wasn't God, He would have never put it on your heart. If you didn't have a relationship with Jesus, you would have never done it. And so it, it is God that gets the glory for these things. Of course we appreciate it. It's a wonderful thing. We have this land and this building and these lights and the electricity gets paid and all these things are wonderful. But we can't list off all the donors every single week. You know, thank you so and so for giving a thousand dollars this week. Come on up here, let's give you a pat on the back. No. Thank you, God, for providing for our needs by putting it it on the heart of the people to provide for the needs of the body. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a natural thing. And he does it perfectly. Um, He does a great job. Ezra does. So I was encouraged and it is encouraging as the hand of the Lord, my God was upon me uh, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me about 2000 and we'll get into those next week. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us this uh, beautiful time to think about Ezra and how he prepared himself for your word and also to do your word. Um, Lord, help us to be more preparing, to be more mindful, that it's not just haphazard, pick up the Bible and throw it open, although nothing wrong with that too, but also to prepare our hearts through prayer and through some meditation. God, I, I open my heart to receive everything you have for me. Help me to receive it with gladness. Help me to be changed by it. And I pray that that I'd be a good doer of your word, not just a reader or hearer only, Lord. Help me to be a good doer. And then, Lord, once I'm doing it and applying it to my life, I pray that I'd be able to teach others how to do uh, and how to hear from you. And so, that's our heart today. There's a lot of people out there that don't know you in this world. There are a lot of toxicity out there. Lord, help us to be the antidote this week. Help us to be a blessing filled with your spirit filled with your joy, your love, meditated on your word, prepared in our hearts to be what we need to be in this world, to be your hands and feet, um, to be that salt and light in this world. Lord bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.